listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. Heavenly Father, all that we have is yours. You are King, Abba, Father, Savior, Creator, wonderful Counselor in our life, Teacher, Mentor. We need you, Lord, every single one of us. Lord, I pray this morning for myself first and foremost and for every man, woman, and child in this place. I pray, Father, I beg you that we would not accept less than what you have for us in our life. Father, I pray that you would help us to stand firm on your word and to build our lives on the rock of your word, to not be tossed to and fro by the cultural tide, but to stand fast on spiritual truth. Father, I pray that you might forgive me first and foremost and that you might forgive the people in this room of the ways in which we have not lived up to our calling in our life this week. Forgive us, Father, and through that cleansing and through that forgiveness, I pray that we might uh, be holy people, that you might make us stronger, more dependent on you, more trusting of you, more leaning on your word here today and in the week to come. We love you, Lord. Be with us today. And it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. You may be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you uh, here to the White Oak Faith family. I'm so glad that you are with us uh, this morning. If I have not had a chance to meet you, or to meet you uh, my name is James Shandell. I'm the discipleship pastor here at this church. I would love to get a chance to meet you before you leave today. After service, I'll be hanging out in the back. If I don't find you, please, please come find me. I'd love to talk with you and just say I'm so glad uh, that you are here. And for our members and regular visitors, I'm glad that you are here with us today. I believe it's going to be a good Sunday. Like many of you, my wife is on a retreat uh, with the women, and so it's been a bachelor weekend for me. And uh, as soon as my wife left, I think it was uh, Friday at about 4 p.m., she left uh, with the caravan to go on the retreat, and I went back into the apartment, and I stood around for a second, and I was like, not quite sure what to do. So I sat down and I watched four hours of Designated Survivor. That's an awesome show. Pastor John got me hooked on that. I love President Kirkman. He's a great uh, man. But I watched that show for about four hours and I got kind of hungry after that. And so about 8 p.m. or so, I go into the kitchen. I pull out some rice and I pull out some orange chicken. And my, life, my wife left me instructions on how to cook that because I'm not a great cook. And uh, it takes vegetable oil, I guess. And so I poured some of that into the firing pan and I, I let that cook for a little while. But I was still watching Designated Survivors. So I went back in the living room and I was just watching for a little bit. And lo and behold, the fire alarm goes off in the apartment. So it's been five hours. My wife is gone and I set off the fire alarm. And so I, I spent about an hour like trying to turn it off and I'm calling apartment management. I'm like, guys, it's not a fire. I'm just a bad cook, all that kind of stuff. So finally, we got that sorted out. And then a little bit later, Later, sort of later on in the evening, I was a little chilly, so I turned on the heater 
and it triggered the fire alarm again. So I managed to set the fire alarm twice uh, my, while my wife was gone, and so I'm hoping that she comes back today because I desperately need her in my house, and so I'm sure you guys are the same way. If you're a lady in here this morning, I want to say I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, I also want to let you know that you have stumbled upon Man Sunday. This is like Man Sunday this morning, and so most of the stuff I'm going to be talking about are to the men in your life. And so I didn't think you'd mind that much. In fact, I give you permission this morning to nudge the man next to you and say, this is for you. If this is a good point, especially a good point, this is for you. All right, ladies, can you do that? Nudge your man right now. All right, there we go. I want you guys listening today. But you also have a part to play in what I'm going to talk about for two reasons. Number one is, as a woman, you have a biblical imperative to encourage your husband and your son and your brother and your father and the men in your life to be all that they can be in Jesus Christ, to live up to their biblical calling in life. And number two, you have a biblical imperative to not set your standards so low in how men treat you and how they talk to you. I think the problem these days is men are setting the bar so low that women are also lowering their standards, and yet there's a biblical imperative for you to say, that is not okay. God calls you to more than that. So you have a biblical imperative to encourage men to be all that they can be in Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, I'll get straight to the point. We don't like to beat around the bush. We like actions. We like marching orders. This morning, your call on your life is simple and biblical and clear. Act like men. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. You can go ahead and open up there. I'm not going to put it up on the screen uh, yet, but you can go ahead and start flipping there. That's where this idea comes from. This idea of acting like men shows up in, these, in this passage. Your version may say, be courageous or be strong. But in the ESV, it says, act like men and to be strong. I think despite the fact that our culture is continually trying to redefine what manhood is, when I say the phrase, act like men, I bet an image comes to your mind. An image comes to your mind. And I bet when you hear that phrase, uh, you believe it summons you to a life of integrity and vigilance and courage. I think when you hear the phrase, act like men, it summons you away from boyishness and away from adolescence, and away from selfishness, and away from vice. You have an image in your mind when the Bible calls you to act like men. But I think the problem is, we're talking about the typical man in the world. He's probably not looking at the church for cues on what it means to be a man. Not many people are looking to the church for cues on, what to, on how to be a man. In fact, it's well-known fact that there are more women in church than there are men in church. In fact, oftentimes, there's often two times as many women in church that, as there are men. And I was thinking about why that is, and I thought of a few reasons. Number one, I think Christianity often doesn't sit well with men because whether it's true or not, Christian men are seen as weak. Right? We rely on God. We rely on 
a savior. And this idea of getting around in a circle, praying with each other, talking about our struggles, the struggles, that just sounds like a therapy group. And so men don't really like this, right? We don't want to be seen as weak. It's kind of like if your wife asks you to like do some stretches with her because your back hurts or something like that. It's probably good for you but you lose some man points along the way, right? This is what biblical Christianity is often seen like in our culture. Number two is I think Christianity also doesn't sit well with men because they celebrate action and religion and spirituality often seem like they're the opposite of action, right? Secular men get things done and spiritual and religious men sit around and pray, And so we don't like this idea of sort of sitting around and praying and things like that. And I would imagine most men in this room use your hands to work. You get things done. You make a living. And so I can understand if you think biblical manhood and Christianity is about learning a book better, I can see why you're not very passionate about that. But today I want to show you that that's not the case. This morning I want to try to argue that to be a Christian man is to be a virtuous man. To be a Christian man is to follow Jesus in all that God calls us to be as men. He calls us to be virtuous. He calls us to be just. He calls us to be righteous. And we cannot be any of these things if we do not have Christ in our life. You see, I think many times wives try to get their husbands in church. And so you get this classic scenario where the wife is dragging her husband into church. And she'll probably give you a lot of good reasons for why you as a man should go to church. Maybe she'll say, you know what? Church is good for me. And so you're like, happy wife, happy life. She's happy. She's in church. I'm cool with that. I'll go along with her, right? As long as she's happy, she's finding community, I'm here. Maybe you say, church is good for your marriage, right? Church is going to be good for our marriage. We get in church, we're going to be loving each other a little bit more. We're going to get some steps on how to get out of conflict and stuff like that. And so oftentimes, women and wives will say, we should get in church to fix our marriage. Maybe for you, that's your kids. Maybe your wife is saying, we've got to get our kids in church. We want to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And I think those are some good and true reasons to get into church, but I think it misses the heart of what we need as men. And that is, how are we going to wrestle with and discover who we are as a man and how we're going to act as men? When you hear the phrase, act like men, I wonder what is the next question that you ask? For me, the next question you ask is, what sort of man should I act like? Should I be a pragmatic man? Should I be a successful man? Should I act like a pragmatic man or act like a successful man? Or should I be a virtuous man? I think that the world has enough pragmatic and successful men. I think the world needs more virtuous men, men of integrity, Men who love their wives as they love themselves. If you think we need more pragmatic, successful men out there, just look at Washington to see what happens when pragmatic men get into office. We need men of integrity. We need virtuous men. And I think that's where our passage this morning comes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I invite you to look at this passage with me this morning. I think this is a good blueprint for living a virtuous life 
in Jesus. Now, this isn't everything that it means to be a biblical man, but it certainly is a start. It certainly doesn't mean anything less than what we're going to read today. And I think that if you, as a man of God, as a man who's seeking after God, I believe that if you can embody these things in your life by the power of the Spirit, you will be a virtuous man. So let's read this together. Verse 13 and 14. It says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. I love this passage because men don't really need a lot of explanation, right? We just need punches in the gut. Be watchful. Stand firm. Act like men. Be strong. Do everything in love. These are the marching orders for us as followers of Christ today. So the first aspect of Christian maturity when it comes to Christian manhood that I want to talk about is this idea of watchfulness. Christian men are vigilant. To be vigilant means that we are on alert like a sentry at his post. As Christian men, we are called to be watchful and vigilant of the spiritually compromising world around us. We watch our own life, our own character, our own actions, and we watch the lives of the people around us, watching over them, protecting them, leading them on into all that God has for them. See, the opposite of vigilance is spiritual apathy and spiritual passivity. Spiritual passivity says, I delegate spiritual things to other people, right? So I delegate my spiritual walk to my wife, or I delegate my spiritual walk to my pastor, or I delegate my spiritual walk to my kids or to my parents. That's what a lot of men do. Spiritual apathy says, you know what, I don't even give much thought to my spiritual life. It doesn't really matter to me in day to day. I don't think about it outside of Sunday morning. It just doesn't matter that much to me. And God says, if either one of those are your approach to life, he says, it's like you're sleeping on the job. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 6 says, be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. So God is calling us as biblical men, as we reach toward biblical manhood and aspire to that, to be men who are guardians, watchers over our own lives and over the lives of others. So Jesus says to watch out for all kinds of things. He says, watch out for the enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, Satan prowls like a roaring lion. He says, watch out for temptation. In Mark chapter 14, he says, watch Watch lest temptation take hold of you. He says, watch out for false teachers. And so men uh, should know doctrine and should be able to rise up and to protect the church from people who seek to lead them off into cults and weird teaching. He says, men are to look for the return of Christ. In Matthew chapter 24, he says, look out for the return of Christ. So we're to let God's future return, Jesus' future return, shape the way that we do things in the present. We are always vigilant of what's going on around us. And lastly, and I think almost most importantly, the Christian man is vigilant and watchful over himself. In First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Keep a close watch on how you live. So a Christian must keep watch over himself. We should be the first to see when danger is near. 
And what I think is so ironic is you have a lot of men who are really into like home defense, right? They're really into home defense. They buy pistols and handguns. I'm saying that's bad, uh, but they, they get their home ready for the outside intruder. But I think they miss that the biggest threat in your home is you. When you are, when you are compromised by sin, it hurts the family. It hurts your wife. It hurts your children. When sin compromises our lives, we put our entire household in danger. And if you cannot name the biggest spiritual threat in your life right now, you're probably already really deep in it and you need someone to help you out. We have to be vigilant about the things around us. There's this image that we are on uneven terrain, that there is danger all around so I took a vacation a few uh, weeks, uh, actually it was last month, it feels like yesterday, but anyway, I took a vacation to California, I'd never taken a big vacation like this, but I went with my wife and we visited Yosemite Valley. Has anyone ever been to uh, Yosemite National Park? We got a few people. The place is pretty amazing. I, I really recommend that you go there. We stayed in the valley floor uh, and did some like camping, well, glamping, it wasn't exactly camping, but it was really cold, I'll give you that. Uh, so we were camping on the valley floor, and so you can kind of go up to some of the different parts of the park. And I remember we went to a place called Sentinel Dome. And I'll show the view up here that what, what, sort of what you can see from Sentinel Dome. And so Sentinel Dome uh, is basically, you kind of have to drive a little bit up. And I think it's about maybe 8,000 feet in elevation or something like that. And so you got to kind of drive up and then you walk up another two miles of hiking. But when you get to the top, you see a view of all the valley floor. In fact, this spot gives you sort of a 360-degree view of the wilderness and the park all around. It gives you so much perspective of what's going on in the park. And so I love this spot for two reasons. Number one, it's called Sentinel Dome, which I think just fits this morning. That People called it that because it was like a watchman over the park. That's what it looks like. But number two, I love this because it gives you perspective of the rest of the park. And as you think about being watchful in your own life, it's good to know, it's helpful to know that the Bible often equates watchfulness with prayer. Right? Jesus often says that, he uses these two words together. He says to watch and to pray. In Luke chapter 21, verse 36, he says, but be watchful at all times, praying that you have strength. In Matthew chapter 24, 26, verse 41, he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So if you're going to be a, a godly, Christian, mature man, and you want to watch over your life, and you want to watch over your family, the way that you do that is through prayer. Because in prayer, God begins to reveal uh, the unhealth in your heart, the spiritual dangers in your heart, or in your family, or in your relationships. We need prayer to see these things. So if you're going to be a vigilant man, you have to be a man of prayer. Secondly, in our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting verse 13, it says, not only to be watchful, but it says, stand firm in the faith. So Christian men are not only watchful, they're steadfast. Christian men do not break rank with Jesus. Christian men do not break rank with Jesus when they're under trial. We do not break rank with Jesus when we're under temptation. We do not break rank with Jesus when it's convenient for us at work. There will be times when we sin and where we fail, but our allegiance is always to God. There's a steadfastness in what we believe and who we're pursuing. 
Christian men are convictional. Instead of letting culture shape our opinion as it goes back and forth, we build our convictions on the power of the Word of God. And of course, we're not unreasonable, and there are things that we're allowed to compromise on, but we stand firm on the things that we cannot compromise on. One of my favorite examples of this is Psalm chapter 15, verse 4. You don't have to open there, but in this psalm, it talks about the righteous man. And it says, The righteous man swears to his own hurt and does not change. The righteous man swears to his own hurt. This idea that he keeps his promises no matter the consequences. His word is his bond. He will not leave his wife for another woman. His word is his bond. He will not walk out on his kids. His word is his bond. He will not forsake the gospel and Jesus and the church, no matter how hard it gets, because his word is his bond. Being a Christian means you've got to have some convictions in your life. As much as our culture doesn't like to pin itself down in any particular stance on anything, we have to hold our ground on the important things in life. What are your convictions? Man, if I were to ask you to sit down and write maybe just the top five convictions that you believe as a man and and the convictions you have for your family, could you do that? And if so, are they built, shaped, standing firmly on the Word of God? Standing steadfast means we don't break rank with Jesus. Number three, it says that we are to be strong, courageous. Christian men are strong. And so there's this stark contrast between secular men who draw strength from themselves and Christian men who who draw strength from God. And what I've never really understood is why people try to deride Christians when they say, you know what, you rely on God, that's a crutch, you're relying on something for your strength. In actuality, everybody relies on something. You either rely on someone in your life, you rely on God, you rely on uh, your intellect, whatever it is, we're all relying on something. I've just learned that when I rely on my own strength and I rely on my own intellect or my own ability to speak, that I run out of those things very quickly because they are limited resources. Whereas the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his power. God's power is an unlimited resource that's available at all times. And so why would I draw on my own strength, this limited commodity, this limited resource, when I have this unlimited, renewable resource in, excuse me, in God through the gospel? Let me tell you why this is important. I'll show you a quick story and then I'll explain. So a part of our California trip, I also went to Disneyland, not Disney World. I learned that there's two of them. Disney World is in Florida. I went to Disneyland. Has anyone been to Disneyland in California? We got a couple people. So I had never been there before. Had no desire to be there before. I had gone to Astroworld when I was younger. So I was like, I went to Astroworld. I know what it's like. It's a theme park. It's not that cool. All right. But Sarah uh, worked there for a while. My wife worked there for a while. And so we had to go to Disneyland. And so we're standing in line, and uh, there's like a billion people in front of you on the bag check, right? So we're just going up there. I'm kind of in a bad mood. I'm like, I don't really want to go to Disneyland. So I'm just waiting in line. But as we get closer, we get up to the ticket counter, 
And uh, we begin to walk in, and I, I, I don't know what happened to you. I swear to you, I, I started to get excited. Like, it's true. I, I was just getting excited. I felt, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, Parks and Rec, like Juan, Ron Swanson. I think I giggled once or twice. I was in Disneyland. It's a true story. I'm a grown man, but I was just amazed by this park. And so we went on, I don't know if you some of the rides, we went on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, we went on Grizzly River Run, we went on Guardians of the Galaxy, we did an Indiana Jones ride, we did Soaring Around the World, Splash Mountain. I mean, this place was amazing. We even visited, I don't know if you guys have visited the Grand Californian Hotel. We cannot stay there. That place probably cost a fortune, but that place is amazing. We got to visit that place. And so my whole life, I've been hearing about Disneyland. And I've been hearing about how awesome it is, right? All this hype around Disneyland. And then I get there, and it lives up to the hype. That place is amazing. I mean, the hype is real. It is a true, amazing place to go to. And I hope that you go there at least once in your life. And this is why I bring that up. And this is why it's a problem for guys. You're not Disneyland. And this is what I mean by that. Your inner self cannot possibly match your outer persona. As guys, we love the hype around ourselves. We love uh, being projected as strong. We love being projected as uh, intellectual, as smart, as caring, whatever it is. But if you're relying on your own strength, there's going to come a point where your inner self is going to start looking vastly different than your outer persona. And that's what happens when we're relying on our own strength. And so you're going to start spending more and more of your time trying to paint this profile picture of your outer life, while meanwhile, your soul, your heart is going to be hollow and in turmoil. This happens all the time, and it happens to us whenever we have sin in our life, but our public image is priority number one. And this happens a lot with guys because we love our public image. But I heard this quote, and I want to share it with you. Uh, It was a pastor. He says, your outer life is your reputation with people, but your inner life is your reputation with God. The Bible says that man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so as men, we are called to a vulnerability when it comes to being honest with God and with other Christian men about our struggles and about our weaknesses. That's the only way our private life is going to match our public persona. I think Christians may appear weak to the secular man or to the secular woman, but that's only because we're more honest. God calls us to be vulnerable in these places. And if we're going to be men of virtue and men of integrity, we're not called to be perfect. The Bible says we're never going to be in this life, but we're called to be authentic in how we present ourselves to the world. So in that, we find strength. Lastly, verse 14, we'll move on here. It says, let all that you do be done in love. So not only are Christian men watchful, not only are they steadfast, not only are they strong, but they're loving. And I love how Paul just belts these things out. He says, be strong and be courageous and be steadfast and be watchful. And then he sort of tacks this thing on the end. He's like, oh yeah, and also make sure you do everything in love. Why is that? Why would Paul want us to do everything in love? This is why. Because I think vigilance, watchfulness, 
can turn quickly into judgmentalism if it's not tempered by love. Right? You keep a watch over your own life. You begin to judge yourself a little too harshly in the areas in which you're not perfect. Or maybe you begin to be vigilant over your wife and over her spiritual walk as you are called to do in the gospel. And you begin to become judgmental because she doesn't have as many quiet times as you do. Without love, vigilance is just judgment. And God calls us to be steadfast with love because steadfastness without love is dogmatism. And God isn't calling us to be people who have these convictions and yet we're not willing to sit across from people and to actually love them. So we're called to be steadfast. We're called to have conviction, but we're called to do it in love lest we turn out like the Pharisees. And lastly, God calls us to have strength with love because if we don't have love with strength, then we become domineering. And I think we've seen what happens when you have men in power, men in authority who are domineering without love. So God uses all these things. And Paul specifically says, let's all these things be done in love because if you don't, then they can quickly turn into things that don't help but oppress. Actionable, servant-oriented love is undeniably the highest Christian virtue. And as we're thinking about who we are as men, you think that maybe strength is the highest Christian virtue, maybe strength or maybe intellect or whatever it is, but in reality, love gets us closest to God. That's why love is the highest virtue. So the pinnacle of Christian manhood is not knowledge, is not strength, but it's love. Love is the pinnacle of Christian manhood. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And Christian men, I want you to notice something here. Paul does not say that knowledge is greater than love. Paul doesn't say knowledge is the highest Christian virtue. In fact, knowledge didn't even make it in the top three. It's faith, hope, and And love and knowledge isn't even up there. But sometimes in the church, we get it twisted by respecting the guys who know the most but love the least. Are we like guys on the internet who know a lot of stuff, but they don't live it out in their own life? And this morning, I want to tell you that God does call you to know things about the Bible, to to know what you believe, to understand these things. But even more so, he calls you to serve with love. God is not looking for a whole bunch of smart guys. He wants guys who know how to love and to serve others well. And if you think theological knowledge is at the height of Christian maturity, I am sorry, but you are mistaken. Love trumps knowledge. You know who the most theological people of Jesus' day were? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the scribes. They had entire books of the Bible memorized, right? They know more about the Bible than anyone in this room will ever know. Probably anyone in modern Christianity will ever know about the Bible. The Pharisees knew them. They had entire books memorized, and yet Jesus completely overlooked them for simple fishermen who were willing to lay their lives down for him. Jesus is transforming us into men who know how to love well. 
men who are willing to give up chasing the satanic illusion that they can find a perfect wife or a perfect job or a perfect church or a perfect life. Love calls us to be content with our wife and our church and our job and our life. The problem is sometimes when we elevate knowledge in our life and we like to debate and we like to travel into abstract worlds, we forget that love calls us right here into the concrete, real, messy relationships in our life. And part of being a spiritual man is being content with loving the people that Jesus loved, which was the people around them. So as we draw to a close this morning, I want to recap sort of this image of a spiritual man, because that's really what this passage is giving us this morning. You have this image of a spiritual man. And you might take this passage, be watchful, be steadfast, uh, be courageous, act the man, be strong, let everything you do in love. You might take this passage and you might use it as a mirror and hold it up to your face. And you might find that there are areas in that passage that don't reflect who you are. And that's going to be true regardless of who you are. Every man in here is going to come away lacking in some area. That's because you're not the prototype man. And you are either reflecting or distorting the image of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. To me, the greatest men of the world are those who are willing to humble themselves under the feet of Jesus. To put him above themselves. Say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out, but I know Jesus does. I'm going to go learn from him. As a man, are you willing to learn from another man? Are you willing to humble yourself and to be taught to grow? Or do you think you have it all figured out? I got one action step for you this morning. Because I know men like marching orders. I'm not going to call you to reflect on anything. I'm not going to call you to think about anything or journal or anything or anything like that. What I want you to do this morning and this week is I want you to take one of those areas, whether it's watchfulness and prayer, whether it's steadfastness and conviction, whether it's strength, whether it's love, I want you to find the area that you're weakest and I want you to go learn from Jesus about it. Have you gotten spiritually apathetic? Go to God in prayer and take inventory of your life. Have you realized there's something in your life or in your relationship that you need to take a stand on because it's right or because it's not right? Go do that. Act like men. We do not break with Jesus when it's convenient. Are you not the man that you portray yourself to be? Go to God in confession and find accountability. Are you actively serving your family and your church according to the measure of the spirit that you've been given? And if not, go do it. A virtuous life in Jesus is not a life of perfection, but it is a life of increasing leadership, increasing integrity, and increasing love. 
This is the new breed of man. And if you're not rising into these things, what are you doing? Your family needs a virtuous man. He doesn't need a man who works harder. He needs a man who loves God and reflects that love to his wife and to his children. And I believe if we stop believing our own hype, humble ourselves and sit at the feet of Jesus, that he will make us those kind of men. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is like a rock. And sometimes that rock is something that we stand on and that gives us hope. And sometimes it feels like that rock is something that shatters us. And as I read this passage this morning, Lord, I recognize that I am not the prototype man. I'm not a perfect man, but I'm a man who needs to be shattered and rebuilt in Jesus. And so I pray for every man in here that he would not settle, that he would not settle for any less than what you have for him, that he might be a virtuous man, a man of integrity, a man who follows passionately after your son and seeks to live a life that reflects him. And lastly, Lord, may we put love at the height of our minds, at the height of our lives, Lord. We don't want to be just smart men who do nothing. We want to be men who act and serve. May you stay with our wives and stay with our children, Lord. Make us into these kinds of men. Transform us by the power of your Spirit. We love you and we look forward to the day when you will return to us again. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray.